Great. So it's an exciting week for us this week in that we are beginning um, a week of prayer here at King's Church. And you might quite reasonably be wondering if the whole church thing is new to you, what is a, what is a week of prayer? Um, well, it's something we did back in January for the first time. And really, we just tried to organize our week so that we could prioritize prayer effectively in our own lives and in the life of our church. And if you're with us then, and maybe you were able to join in, I hope you'd agree that it was, I thought, really quite a special week for us as a church when we did this back in, back in January. People seem to really enjoy the daily podcast that we sent out, helping us to pray each day. And we met on two evenings during the week, on Tuesday and Saturday. And I think for me, personally, that Tuesday evening particularly was a real highlight of the week. I just loved it as we gathered together in such number to pray and to worship and to see what God would do in our, in our church. And we prayed into lots of things together, if you remember back in January. We prayed, for example, that the university might give us that small little room behind us here so that our little sparks, our creche, could be much closer to us. And wonderfully, the university gave us the whole of that space behind us so that all our kids could be down much closer to us, which has been brilliant. And we prayed that we might see 10 people baptised in 2016. And so far we've seen three. So there's an opportunity for us to persevere in prayer that God might stir seven more people to keep exploring the gospel and to make that key decision in believing the gospel and deciding to follow Christ. We'd love to see that. The next baptism date is on the 13th of November, if that resonates with you or with those that perhaps you're praying with them for. We prayed also for two members of staff to join us and lead us in the operational side of things and in the worship side of things. And wonderfully, we've been able to appoint Carly Best to the operational side of things and Jamie, as you just heard. Some real, genuine answers to prayer that come when the church takes prayer seriously. I think for Caroline, my wife and I, we were engaged at the time. It was a really special week for us. We look back on it with some fondness as we uh, prayed together, fasted together, uh, encountered God's love and kindness together, kind of explore what it is to have God as the centerpiece of our marriage. It was a really special week for us personally as well. But for us as a broader church community, there's now loads of things to pray into this time around. So for example, we're going to be praying into the uh, really exciting potential move that's on the cards to the Rose Theatre. I want to pray for God's leading in that. Um, We really believe, as Claire was just alluding to, we really believe that God loves our borough and he loves our city and he loves our friends and our colleagues and the communities that he's placed us in. And so to that end, uh, we really want to catch something more of his love and his passion and his compassion for the communities that God's put us in and specifically to hear something of his leading for how we can tangibly and specifically bless and serve and engage with and do our town and city good. We want to get his leading in that. Also, as Claire mentioned about the Ask London series, we have done the best that we can to listen and to learn what the objections and questions are that our friends and colleagues have to the, to the Christian faith, and we're going to do our best to engage with them as carefully and respectfully as we can. It'd be great to pray into those things, as Claire said. More wider, perhaps, we want to pray into some of the big situations in our nation and in the world. We want to be praying in to see more and more of God's mercy and justice impact our nation and our society more globally. We want to pray for our friends in Istanbul, who are now one year in to uh, leading a brand new church out in Istanbul. And in fact, our children are also going to be uh, exploring prayer this morning in their kids' work. And they'll be having a similar kind of pattern for prayer through the week. So for you parents, great opportunity for you to be exploring prayer by praying with your kids and all that God can do in that. And in fact, behind me now should appear the kind of plan for the week so that you can get an idea as to how the week works out. And uh, later in the week, we'll get to all of these things to 
pray for. But just as your eyes are scanning down the things that we're going to pray for, I want us actually to take a bit of a step back this morning. And this morning is less about the things that we're going to pray for and a bit more about kind of how we approach prayer, really. So we'll come back to those things later on. In fact, at the end of the service, if you want one, the welcome team will give to you a small booklet, which basically summarizes that slide, but in much more detail. It's got questions about prayer and about fasting and how we're going to pray and so on. So if you want one, the welcome team will give you one of these at the end. It's a really helpful tool for you to join with us through the week. But as I say, I want us to really take a step back from what we're going to pray for and more to consider how do we approach prayer in the first place. So, Maybe you're here this morning and perhaps uh, you absolutely love prayer. That prayer is just the thing for you at the moment. I'm sure many of us will have seen what is almost an iconic moment recently when Bear Grylls last year was able to pray for President Barack Obama. You may have seen that, that moment that seems to have gone all around the world. And maybe you feel a little bit like him, a bit like Bear Grylls, an intrepid explorer who's willing to pray for anyone, anytime, anywhere. Or maybe you're here and you don't really believe in prayer. Or perhaps it, it just seems rather more mysterious, just incredibly uncertain. Maybe you identify with a poet called Walter de la Mere, who said this in one of his poems. Is there anybody there, said the traveller, knocking on the moonlit door? And he smote upon the door a second time. Is there anybody there, he asked. And I think for us this morning, this uh, metaphor of a traveller or an explorer is a kind of helpful one for us to explore things this morning and for this week. And as we kind of planned the, the nature of this week, we tried to really, I guess, take you on a bit of a journey, as it were, this week. And so you'll, be, you'll move from tomorrow kind of being simply still with God and the primacy of that. And through the week, as you saw on the slide, as you'll see in the booklet, we're going to be opening up and praying for more and more things. It'll be a journey in that sense. And really this morning, I want to give you two possible features of the journey of prayer. Whether you're brand new here this morning, you're not sure this is the church for you, whether you're exploring faith, whether this is part of your church, I reckon all of us can use these two possible features of a life of prayer to explore this week and beyond. And really we're going to see these two opportunities in prayer from how Jesus talks about prayer. In Matthew 6, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. We're going to be in verse 6. And it's quite a famous passage where Jesus is answering the question from his own disciples, how do you do this? Basically what they ask him, how do, how do you pray? And this is what he says. And I think he opens up two opportunities for us to explore in prayer this week and in life generally. He said this, when you pray, this is Jesus speaking, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who he sees in secret will reward you. And then skipping down to verse 16. He goes on to say, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. So I want to suggest this morning that Jesus is inviting us to explore two features of prayer, wherever you are at this morning. He's inviting us to explore a challenge of prayer, and he's inviting us to explore a companion of prayer. A challenge of prayer and a companion of prayer. And whether you feel like Bear Grylls, ready to explore and pray boldly anytime, anywhere, or whether you feel a bit more like the traveller, not even sure if God is there to answer, I think all of us can really begin to take some steps forward in exploring prayer this morning. So, 
First of all, exploring a challenge of prayer. Um, so I mentioned that my wife and I got married recently and we went on a honeymoon for a couple of weeks afterwards and we decided that one of the best ways that we could kind of switch off and just focus on each other in the first few days of our marriage was to take the bold step of leaving our phones behind. So the phones switched off, they were not taken with us and they were left behind. And that was great for the first week or so. And our second week, uh, we had a little cottage booked in a a village in Sussex. And so we realized beforehand that were we to be able to find said cottage in said village, we would need to have some directions. Therefore, we went properly old school and printed off the directions, uh, paper copy version, and had those with us so that we could find uh, part two of the honeymoon. Anyway, directions are pretty good insofar as they took us to the village in question, fairly straightforwardly. But then things began to unravel a little bit because it seemed actually we hadn't printed off particularly thorough directions after all. They were great at taking us to the village, but not very good at taking us to the actual cottage in question. And so we were like driving around this village, couldn't find this place. I knew it was called Garden Cottage, but that was about it. So I ended up in somebody else's garden thinking that was their cottage, and it wasn't. And then we were, when we asked the random um, resident of the village, like, do you know where Garden Cottage is? And they didn't know where it was. And I'm driving around thinking, this is not a great start to married life. I can't actually find a home for us in week two. Like, we're going to be sleeping in the garden at this rate. This is not going to be ideal for my uh, new wife. I was getting really quite stressed. And, and all the romance of leaving the phone behind and cutting ourselves off from civilization for a few precious days evaporated. I just wanted my phone. Now, wonderfully, there was one little shop in the village, and we went in there, and a very kind person let us use their phone, and we could check our emails and find the directions for the cottage, and the honeymoon continued, and off we went. But it did make me realize just how dependent I am on these little things. Technology has become, uh, at least to me anyway, incredibly important. (laughs) And uh, as we were... Um, just kind of, as I was just mulling over this a little bit, I was thinking that we just, we can do so much now, just with even these little things, let alone all the other types of technology we have, that are incredibly helpful, thanks to the just imagination and creativity, frankly, of brilliant people, we can, at the click of a button, we can access amazing ideas, incredible music, beautiful art, wonderful people, just at the click of a button. It really is, I think, phenomenal what we can do now, in our own little small way as a church. That's why I mentioned these, we're going to send out these daily podcasts each day via email that you can use to help you in this journey of prayer. And if you are new here, I love seeing new faces in September, just fill out one of the connect cards that Claire mentioned and we can make sure that you get those daily podcasts as well. And at the click of a button, whether you are dropping the kids off at school, whether you're at the gym or whether you're in your commute to work, you can hear someone from the life of this church reading scripture to you, helping you to pray, helping you to interact with God. It's brilliant, I think. And our use of technology is, in many instances, really, really enjoyable, as well as being really, really helpful. We found that for us as a church. Ask London's an opportunity to use technology well, so we can see what real people would have to say about their objections and questions and thoughts about the Christian faith. But we also, don't we know, that technology is not an end in itself. It's, it's not the thing that can meet the deepest needs that we have. Like in our honeymoon story, Being able to access that smartphone was only really good because it allowed us to continue our honeymoon. Getting hold of the phone was only really good because it allowed us to continue prioritizing and investing in our relationship. It's it's a means to an end, really. It doesn't hope to meet our deepest needs. And as well as having limitations, I would argue technology perhaps also has downsides. 
For example, I think we are so distractible now these days. We have become incredibly distractible. Many of us find it more and more challenging to be alone without a device or a screen to stimulate us. So like, just for me, the amount of times I'll be working on something or, or cooking a meal, and I just need to check my messages or check a quick email or, or check the cricket scores, for example. So just little, little bits and pieces like that. I wonder how many of you have checked your phones, for example, in the last few minutes or so this morning. We love to jump from... Ta- I can see a few wincing faces, excellent. We love to jump from task to task in the name of multitasking, but I think it seems to mean that our brains are less and less able, or less and less used now, to concentrating on one thing for a sustained period of time, especially if that one thing means just us alone with our thoughts. And so the the Guardian uh, newspaper published an article last year, and they effectively summarized or detailed the findings of a number of neuroscientists. And uh, these neuroscientists have known for a while that there's a specific part of our brains, the prefrontal cortex it's called, that deals specifically with focusing on a specific sustained task for a period of time. And what these neuroscientists in America and the UK have essentially concluded is that the way that we live now with all of our gadgets and devices and tendencies to flip from one to the other means that our brains are actually becoming less and less effective in being able to uh, hold sustained concentration. This is what the Guardian article said. The prefrontal cortex in the brain has a novelty bias, meaning that its attention can be easily hijacked by something new, the proverbial shiny objects. The very brain region that we need to rely on for staying on task is now easily distracted. We answer the phone, look up something on the internet, check our email, send a text, and each of these things tweaks the novelty-seeking, reward-seeking senses of the brain, causing a burst of endogenous opioids. That's why it's fun to do, satisfying to do all to the detriment of our staying on task. It is the ultimate empty calorie brain candy. Instead of reaping the big rewards that come from sustained, focused effort, we instead reap empty rewards from completing a thousand little sugar-coated tasks. Basically, they're saying our brains are finding it more and more difficult to concentrate on something for a sustained period of time because they're so used to the short-term stimulation that technology can give us. What has this got to do with exploring prayer? And particularly in this first point, exploring the challenge of prayer. Well, I think quite a lot. Because if you see what Jesus said in verse 6, in Matthew 6, he said, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And I find it interesting that Jesus' first instruction about prayer, the first time he gives instruction about prayer in the Gospels, is that it is to be done in private. That it requires a degree of stillness of solitude, of time alone, with no distractions. Now, there are all kinds of different ways to pray. And Jesus particularly uh, loved praying with other people. And we'll be making opportunities to do that this week on Tuesday and Saturday evening. But Jesus seemed to also believe, and he demonstrated it a lot himself, that prayer will often happen with just us on our own, with the door shut and God. I don't know about you, it's been my experience that praying alone can be the most challenging. That's the challenge of prayer I want to invite you to explore this week. Silence, solitude, private prayer, if you want to call it that. 
Now, many people in Kingston are pretty busy. Silence and solitude is, is hard to come by. I'm looking at faces out here that I know life is pretty busy. There isn't much silence and solitude just waiting necessarily to be used. So why accept the challenge? Why does the Bible say things like, be still and know that I am God? Or be still before the Lord? Or wait quietly before God? Well, I think Jason Stocks helped us a few weeks ago when he opened up our summer psalm series in the first week of August. And if you, if you were here or you've caught up on it on, on, on the podcast, then you'll know that he was talking about meditation and specifically Christian meditation. And he was helping us see that Christian meditation is about more than simply emptying our minds. It's about then filling our minds with, with truth, with a sense of God's love, a sense of God's purposes, a sense of God's passions, the things that he loves, putting truth into our minds. And finding moments of solitude and silence this week, very challenging though it might be, I would suggest to you is the opportunity to do more than simply empty our mind, but to then fill it with truth. We can empty our minds of distractions. We can put to one side devices and even the demands of others. And when we do that, God is uniquely able to communicate and interact with us. It's not the only way he's able to communicate and interact with us. He can do it whatever way he wants, but he's uniquely able when we take time for silence and for solitude to empty our minds of distractions and devices and so on. He is uniquely able to then fill our minds with a sense of his purposes, a sense of his love for us, a sense of what he says and his word and the truth and how it changes us through the Bible. Prayer then becomes a dynamic, relational communicative, interactive interaction with God. And Jesus did this a lot. So just a couple of examples in Luke's gospel. Luke tells us in chapter five that Jesus quotes, often withdrew to desolate places to pray, meaning alone places. In chapter nine, Luke says that the disciples were looking for him and quotes, they found him praying alone. He did this stuff a lot. Now it's easy to, it's easy to somehow think of Jesus as being not that busy, kind of just wandering around, the whole kind of sandals and robes picture. Not much to do, maybe heal somebody here and there. Jesus was, in his public ministry, it seems, potentially frenetically busy. It says regularly there were crowds thronging around him, desperate for his attention, for his healing, for his words. He, had, he was hugely busy, or could have been. And the pressure that he lived with, the demands of people, the questions that he faced, the threats that he lived under, let alone the, the more cosmic pressure, as it were, of the mission that he'd ultimately come to achieve. And yet amid all of that, all of that busyness and demands and threats and concerns and pressure, Jesus prioritized private prayer, spending time alone with God. And then in Matthew 6, he invites us to do exactly the same. He says, close the door, which is his way of saying, find somewhere quiet, that it's just you and God. And then he says, pray to our Father in heaven. Do what I did, is basically what he's saying. And for me, I, I love praying with people. I really do. In fact, it's probably the, the easiest way that I um, kind of connect with God by praying with others. I really enjoy it. But if I think back to my most precious times of prayer, they've probably been praying alone. Some of them haven't been very precious. Some of them have involved me almost falling asleep or being distracted or getting consumed with anxieties and worries, definitely. 
But sometimes they've been deeply precious time, maybe walking in Richmond Park, for example, just taking time for silence, taking time to empty the mind, to, to ignore distractions and let God speak, let God communicate, let God interact. So what does that look like for you this week? How can you prioritize exploring private prayer, for want of a better phrase? How can you make time amidst all the really important stuff of family and work and rest and leisure for the most important thing? Time with the creator of the universe. If you are taking notes or scribbling things down or making use of your phone, you might want to scribble some ideas down as I'm talking. What does it mean for you to stand to one side, to clear your mind and allow God to fill it with truth or love or encouragement or direction? Maybe it's putting the old phone onto airplane mode on the, commu- on the commute. Maybe it's just not eating lunch at your desk and getting outside and walking and listening to what God might do and say. What about if you're a parent that's at home a lot? I was talking to a parent in that position this week and, and they were saying that when you put your little one uh, to bed for a nap during the day, that is such a precious time. Like, that is your window to get stuff done. Is that right? I'm seeing a few nods from parents who've... And they were saying, well, even then, could there be an opportunity in the first 10 minutes of that precious task time to stop and explore private prayer with God? What's it going to mean for you this week? How can you take a step forward in exploring time with God? So that's firstly the challenge of prayer to explore. Secondly, the companion to prayer to explore. Well, in this passage in which Jesus is talking about how to pray, he goes on, I think, to apply a possible companion to prayer. And I think we know it's a companion to prayer, not just because he talks about it at the same time, in the same passage, in the same context, but because he uses quite similar language. So remember in verse 6 he said, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in heaven. Sorry, who is in secret and in heaven. In verse 17, he says, when you fast... Anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So it seems like Jesus sees fasting as a possible companion to prayer. Like, let's be honest, fasting is quite an unusual thing in our context. We might be familiar perhaps with, with Muslims fasting or maybe with people detoxing. That's probably about it in terms of our familiarization in our culture with fasting. But in, in the Bible, we see fasting quite a lot. In the Old Testament, you see men and women like Moses and Anna and David who engage in fasting. In the New Testament, you see, sorry, you see <laughs> Moses and Esther and David in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, men and women like Anna and Cornelius and Paul engaging in fasting. And in the Bible, fasting means just kind of voluntarily going without food for a period of time in order to create not just time for fasting, sorry, not just create time for prayer, but also to stimulate a spiritual hunger for God. That's the pattern we seem to see in Scripture. People that want to know him more, to cry out to him more for provision and power in prayer. There's a church leader in America called Mahesh Chabda, and uh, he put it quite nicely when he said, fasting is found throughout the Bible. It always seems to show up when ordinary people need extraordinary power, provision, and perseverance to overcome impossible odds. Say it again. It always seems to show up when ordinary people need extraordinary power, provision, and perseverance to overcome impossible odds. And my own testimony that fasting, whilst really hard sometimes, it does, 
strangely sharpen my appetite less for food and more for God. It, that's just been my experience because so many things dull my appetite for God. Frankly, food and technology being, being two of them. And so fasting from one or either or both of those things for periods of time has shown me how dependent I can be on those things and how in reality I want to be dependent upon the creator of the universe, my God the Father. Fasting also helps me to take prayer seriously. It gives me a a desire and a a hunger and a reason to persevere, to really take hold of God for what I believe he's calling me to or what I want to see him do. Excuse me. It ultimately, it helps me, I appreciate I'm speaking in kind of, abject, uh, kind of abstract terms, it helps me to, to want God more. It helps me that over and above all the good things, fasting becomes a companion to prayer that helps me to desire the ultimate thing. It's a wonderful dynamic. Let me just explain what I mean. It's not a perfect illustration, but I hope it'll help to some degree. Uh, in the Olympics, I always get massively into the Olympics, especially into various different niche sports. And the niche sport I got into this time was the, was the kayaking on the river, like the kind of flat river kayaking uh, where these guys just have a kayak and they blitz down 200 metres of uh, lake in about 35 seconds. It's phenomenal. In a straight line as well. That's also phenomenal in my experience. And in fact, Britain won a gold medal due to a guy called uh, Liam Heath who won the gold medal in that exact event. And it struck me, and I, bear with me here, there were some correlations with prayer in what was going on because just as Liam Heath had to to a great extent prioritize effort and and be disciplined about what he was doing so prayer does require a degree of effort and discipline and just as he experienced real power and dynamism in powering down that race so as you press into prayer we experience genuine power and dynamism in approaching God and pressing in towards him Well, imagine now that Liam Heath adds a second person, a companion, into his kayak. Imagine now the increased dynamism and power and focus and intentionality that his kayak has. Fasting is a little bit like that. It's like adding a second companion into the boat of prayer. And although it requires additional effort and discipline to add this second companion in, it does result in, I've found, greater momentum, a greater sense of power, and a greater sense of wanting the ultimate thing. So for Liam Heath to add a second guy in, which actually he did in a different event, there's like twice as much determination to get to the main thing, to get to the finish line, to get the Olympic gold medal. And in my experience, adding fasting into, as a companion into the boat of prayer just helps me want the main thing more, even more than the Olympic gold medal, which I would love even more than that, helps me to want the creator of the universe, to interact with him, to be changed by him, to press into him for what he's passionate about and what he wants to do. So, I guess my second challenge is, why not explore adding the companion of fasting to the boat of prayer this week? A meal, perhaps, or a day's worth of food or, or more. And for a number of reasons, food might not be the appropriate thing for some of us. In fact, this booklet goes into some of the frequently asked questions as to why food might not be appropriate for some of us. It might not even be the most helpful thing. There might be other things, not least technology, frankly, that to put to one side for a time would actually really help you to prioritize and then fuel prayer and exploring God. See, fasting will really help you as well. It'll really help you to see things clearly. 
What I mean by that is it's, it's a little bit like taking a precious metal and refining it in a fire. That kind of practice has happened for centuries, I think. And when that happens, you put the precious metal into the fire and you're looking to smelt away, that's the right word, all of the impurities that are messed up with the precious metal. And they all move away. And what you're left with is just the purity of this precious metal. And fasting does that. It, it brings to the surface, if you use that analogy, the, the dross, the metal's dross. It highlights the things in my heart that I really wish weren't there. It highlights how dependent I am upon other things to medicate my desire for satisfaction and love and acceptance. It brings some things to the surface as though it were, it were, I was being purified. It also shows me how I view God. Because as I'm engaging in this process, it shows me, do I ultimately, ultimately, do I view God as someone who I can get to do things for me? Because fasting kind of makes it up front and center because you're really taking something seriously and you're praying with with passion and conviction. It, It makes me see, do I really see God as he who should be answering my prayers? And this is the way I can do that. It's just one example as to how it's a bit like being put into a a furnace. It just brings the impurities to the surface. And it's a wonderful opportunity to engage in another spiritual discipline and practice of, of repentance and receiving forgiveness and of becoming more and more like God. So, what does that look like for you this week? What are these two exploration opportunities like for you? What one step, wherever you're at, Bear Grylls, mighty explorer of prayer, the traveller, not quite sure if God exists. What does it mean for you to take a step forward in exploring what it might mean to interact with God through prayer and perhaps fasting? But however much you explore these things, whatever you do this week or in fact in life, there's one thing prayer, fasting will not do. It doesn't make God love you anymore. It doesn't make him value you anymore. That is already in place. That's already been decided. That's already been demonstrated. Think about probably the most famous praying moment in all of history. A scene where Jesus is on his knees in the Mount of Olives in the dead of night in the Middle East. Hot night, on his knees, olive trees around him. The night before he died, praying his heart out. Praying his heart out. Asking God the Father if there's any other way than this way to reconcile, to heal the fractured relationship between humanity and God. That's why we can potentially explore praying and fasting this week. He has made it possible to be in a relationship with God, to be able to explore these things. We can only explore genuine gospel prayer and fasting when we know what the gospel's already done. It's told us how much we're loved. It's told us how seriously God took the fractured relationship between us and him that he dealt with it at such cost to himself. You only explore prayer and fasting when you know how much you're loved. You want to know how much you're loved? Look at God the Son praying his heart out in the Mount of Olives that night. Look at him praying in solitude that night. Look at him, notice this, willingly and humbly accepting a different answer to what he wanted from his prayer. We can explore these things because Jesus, after he prayed, went to the cross. If you want to explore 
interacting with God through prayer and perhaps fasting as well. Look at what he has done. Look at what he has done for you. Look at him praying for humanity on his knees that he might bring us to God that then we can explore what it means to know this God. Look at what he gave up. Think about giving up food or technology. Look at what Jesus relinquished. Look at what he gave up. Not just food, his life. He relinquished everything. He even for a time relinquished what he'd known for eternity, perfect intimacy with God the Father. He gave that up. That we might come to God the Father, have a relationship with him that is dynamic, that is exploratory, that allows us to take steps forward bit by bit in knowing his love and his compassion. Ross, can you guys come and join me and help us to respond in worship? We're going to sing two or three songs together. After the first song, Paul's going to help and lead us in communion. So really what I want us to do, I suppose, is for the first song and then during communion, if that's a, a meal you feel able to take, I want us to consider just first of all why it is we can come to God at all in prayer. Just in this first song and indeed in communion if you take it, use that time to explore the depth of what Christ has done for us that means it's even possible that we can come to God in prayer. Meditate upon he who prayed for us who is still praying for us. And then perhaps as we continue in worship, maybe begin to think, well, what does it mean for me this week? What is my step? Whether I'm Bear girls and I'm looking for someone to pray for, leader of the free world, whether I'm the traveler and the poet who feels like I'm knocking and just don't even know if anyone's there. What does it mean to take one step forward this week? Why not speak that out as a worshipping to God? Why not speak it out to the person next to you if you know them well? Make a response in your heart. My experience is the bigger response I make, the more likely I am to stick to it. (laughs) Okay, let's stand. I'm going to lead us. It would seem apt to pray. Father God, we come to you now. And we pray exactly as Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, we hallow and worship your name. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We say your kingdom come, God. Would you help us to make a response? Would you help us take a step forward in exploring prayer this week and interacting with you, our amazing Father in heaven, who has done all that needs to be done to bring us to himself and who loves us with an everlasting love and who beckons us to explore him. Amen.